Saturday night at the Midway On Mardi Gras Midwestern style I was with my man a junk boy from Jersey The devil's cat after Napoleon smile We had our chilies with my lady Samantha AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. You're listening to Paul Metza, St. Louis County Fair. Paul Metza is kind enough to join us for the full hour of this holiday interview to talk about his brand new book, Alphabet Jazz, Poetry, Prose, Stories, and Song by Paul Metza. And once again, kind enough for the whole hour. And of course, you can listen to him on weekends right here on AM 950 as uh, the Wall of Power Radio Hour airs on Saturday at 6 p.m. Replays at 4 o'clock, I believe, on Sundays. Paul, thanks for coming, man. I appreciate it. Matt, I'm really honored, and uh, thanks for asking me. You know, when I when you found out uh, that the book was coming out, you you were the first guy that said, "I'd love to have you on the show." So here we are. Thank you very much. My pleasure, and and it's and it's something I I've loved having you being on the station with me. It it makes you know it, it it's such a wonderful show that you've done. How many years have you done our uh, Wall of Power? Matt, I believe we are celebrating our eighth anniversary uh, this coming March. Uh, yeah, you've, you, I think, are you like the second longest show on there besides myself? I know. <laughs> you no, had- I really love it. Uh, uh, you know, our boss, Chad, does a great job and, uh, we love working with the engineer today, Brett and Patrick's great. And it's, uh, it's a beautiful station. It's the, I believe one of the only ind- independently owned progressive radio stations in the country. It is. And I think it's the largest progressive radio station in the state of Minnesota, hands down for sure. Well, you, that's that's uh, honored to be a part of that. That's, it is. It is. It's really kind of feels cool to be part of this whole thing, man. You, of course, um, Huffington Post called you the other great folk singer from Minnesota's Masabi Iron Range. He has released 12 original recording projects since 1984, played over 5,000 professional gigs, has won seven Minnesota Music Awards, has autobiography Blue Guitar Highway from the University of Minnesota Press, garnered great reviews. And, of course, you've been writing and performing for a long time. Um, you recently moved to Duluth too, correct? I moved to Duluth. My first night was, uh, July 3rd, uh, 2021. And just as fate would have it, uh, for one year, it just kind of dropped out of the sky. I was renting the first floor of Bob Dylan's childhood home. Really? Yeah, it was nuts. I knew the uh, landlord, uh, he doesn't rent the upstairs. That's where the Zimmermans grew up. And uh, so he's kind of keeping it really of the time. He's got Bob's uh, uh, high chair there, Bob's little baby crib. And then he's kind of just doing it. Uh, he bought a 1935 Merrimack refrigerator and an old stove. So eventually uh, the guy's name is Bill Pagel is going to turn it into, uh, you know, a museum. But the first floor was open and uh, I ended up there and he part of my uh, – Renner's duties were I had to man the guest book. Mm-hmm. Where where is this in Duluth? If I can, without giving away your address, but where, where is this? In, what what area of Duluth is this in? Let's do this. If you would drive downtown Duluth and you would go to what was the old Hotel Duluth, which yeah. is now Great Sloan Plaza, you hang a left there and you go up five blocks. You'll be right in front of it, and um, uh, it's you know you could. Google it, and and uh, it gives you the address. But it was fun. Uh, I bet I had just when I'd you know, be drinking um, coffee in the morning on the porch, maybe something a little stronger after 5, people would come up, 
you know, and you knew they were there to take pictures and they were all so kind. But I bet, man, over the course of the year that I was there, uh, there was just between 70 to 80 separate parties. I'm talking teenagers from Wisconsin youth camps to retirees in their RVs to people that just happened to be in town for a wedding that heard about it. So I would have them sign the guest book, date it, say where they're from, and then if I had one of my CDs uh, hanging, uh, laying around, I'd, I'd, uh, what David Carr used to go, I'd slime them uh, with one of my, <laughs> one of my, one of my uh, music CDs. And uh, I told a friend of mine, it was like being the, it was like the Jehovah's Witnesses in reverse. <laughs> well, it, it's got to be. I mean, there are houses like this. I mean, I know they had, uh, the, you know, some of like the great architectural houses, the Frank Lloyd Wright place, that place over in Cloquet, the gas station. People stop by there all the time to see the thing. But it's yeah. got to be it's got to be a wild perspective to be the person there. Yeah, it really is. And, uh, you know, when you came in that back door uh, where, you know, young Bob he used to go to Nettleton Kindergarten, which was only two blocks up the alley and. So he could come in the, well, you could, you know, go in the front door too, but I'm guessing when he come home from kindergarten, he would uh, come in the back door and that hallway in the back, uh, my door on the first floor is on the right, then the, the stairway to the basement. And then to get to the Zimmerman's, you'd go up a uh, stairway to the second floor, but it had such beautiful acoustics. I wouldn't doubt if, uh, you know, Dylan just would, sit around and whistle in that back hallway because it was it was so beautiful. Now, what was interesting about that house, Matt? Um, you know, Bob Dylan is a huge uh, uh, Civil War historian. It, yeah. It's one of his passions. He's written uh, several tunes uh, about that era. One, one of his greatest tunes you can find on YouTube called Across the Green Mountain, which was in the movie Gods and Generals. I was walking down the alley one day, walking on my dog, Blue. A guy was mowing the lawn. Uh, he had a tie-dye T-shirt on, ponytail, and it looked like a bit of a hippie. And uh, so I just stopped to say hi and said, hey, I just moved in the neighborhood. Uh, I said, are you mowing lawns or do you live here? He goes, no, I live here. I said, well, I just moved in. I moved into Dylan's house up the alley. He goes, well, I live in a historic house, too. And I said, how's that? He lived in the house that a fellow named Albert Wilson, some of you Civil War buffs might know that name, he was the oldest living survivor of the Civil War. Mm. Lived at that house just right down the alley on uh, 5th Street um, for almost 40-some years. And he, uh, Albert Wilson, was from southern Minnesota, he joined the Union Army in 1963 as a 14-year-old, as a drummer. Fought at the battle, uh, fought at Gettysburg with the Minnesota unit. And there's a actually a uh, commemorative small statue of him down there. And there's several statues of him up here. He lived to be 109 years old, and when he died in 1956. They had his funeral at the uh, Duluth Armory, and it was overflow crowds over 1,500 people. And all the dignitaries and wow. military people came. But great story. Uh, Google Albert Wilson, W-O-O-L-S-O-N. 
I will. So that's what I think when when and then that and then when the school uh, Donaldson School, not just uh, Bob's kindergarten class, but they'd on whatever the uh, uh, whatever day it was, Albert Albert would be sitting in his backyard, and the school kids would walk by, uh, holding flags, and they'd salute him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that's kind of where I think Bob might have picked up his uh, Civil War uh, Jones. I wonder if he did because, I mean, he he went through the Minnesota first at Gettysburg. I mean, he was yeah. – that's amazing because there are so many – few Minnesotans that survived that. But we at that moment, Minnesota saved the Union, thank God. And, yeah. and, and, and yeah, wow, that is – that's amazing. That's just – it's so unique that now as we step back in time, those two individuals were – Literally neighbors, uh, you know, living right near each other at some point. A half a block away. Yeah. That's incredible. That's incredible. I I find it really, really fascinating. Now, the other part, speaking of geographical coincidences, Matt, and uh, you and I, uh, you know, you've got some uh, roots in my hometown. Yeah. Minnesota. I believe you're, is it your mother or your dad from there? Uh, my dad's from Virginia, uh, okay. Minnesota, and there, and of course, my family is there. Um, my my, they they when they discovered iron ore, my great great grandfather James Scott McNeil, who played for who was a, a, the drummer in a New York regiment from the Civil War, he came to Northern Michigan. He was in Agani, Michigan, when they discovered iron ore in Minnesota. He came over with my great grandfather, uh, Emerson Duncan Senior. And they were in uh, Virginia there as well. So that's and that ended up, you know, coming down the line. Eventually, got to my dad there. So that they, they were there when the uh, right when the the lumber industry stopped and the and the uh, mining industry began. Wow, you know, my uh, mother, who was uh, raised in Bemidji, her she had some aunts and uncles named the Merritts, and they can't are they. Um, uh, no, they came with the Merritt brothers. Their their last name was my mother's main name was Paul, which is where I got my first name. But they came. A few of them came on one. I don't know if it was the original one, but the Merritt brothers, who and I think it was the late eighteen eighties or eighteen nineties, discovered iron ore on the Iron Range, mm-hmm. right? In, you know, in our in our area there in the uh, uh, Virginia Mountain Iron area. Uh, yeah, so I had relatives that came with them. So it's it's fun. That's why lo- that's why we love history, right? Yes, Matt? indeed. Well, Merritt Rift isn't. That, I, I thought I heard of that. Isn't there Merritt Rift up there? Is that that must have been where they found it? I'm probably. Yeah. I would I would guess so. Wow. You know what was? Um, let's see. What uh, there's an airline. What the hell's the name of it? They're based in. Seattle, Washington. It'll come to me by the end of the interview. But I went up to Hull. You've, you've been a Hull Rest mine, right? The greatest, biggest yeah. uh, open pit mine in the world outside of Hibbing. I mean, it's like yeah. if somebody doesn't do an apocalyptic movie there, they're really <laughs> missing it, man. It's just like look, it's like Star Wars, you know. <laughs> well, they like, can always go down to the Barson and Bawabic, and you know they can do they can have hit both parts of the range, man. They're all gold know, there. I hate to break the sad news to you, Matt, but the, that that bar shut down. I know it did. I was there. Oh gosh, I was up. All right, you and I are just going to spend a good chunk of this interview just talking to each other. Uh, I was in Christmas. I'm going to guess it's '94. It was. It's Christmas Eve night. Right. Um, we we're over on a Squagama, uh, where my parents used to live, uh, the golf course out there. And we were like, okay, but it was cold in winter, and we didn't really want to drive in. We discovered there was the Biwabic bus. 
So you could sure. call the Biwabic bus, which had more beer bottles rolling around in it than any other bus I've ever seen in my life. I'm sure. I'm sure. We got. They came, picked us up, took us into Biwabic. We were at the bar sauna down there. Uh, the sauna, I believe, at that point had been shut down. Yeah. But uh, we were there. We shot some pool. And I learned how bad you have to be to be the band that's playing the bar sauna in Biwabic on the Christmas Eve night. You are not a good band. But they were there, and they were tearing up, and they had a pretty good crowd there in Biwabic. McNeil, McNeil, watch what you're talking about, because my band, Cats and the Stars, got started as we were playing uh, bluegrass and country music and uh, – and, and bluegrass as hot walleye. That was our northern take on the band Hot Tuna. <laughs> 1975, we did our first gig in Alcott Park. Yeah. Uh, right, right by the clinic. Um, the Charles B. Lenant Clinic, which was my, my, was my great grandfather on the other side. That's right. And that, that was right across the street from the park. So we had a gig August 17th, 1975. I s- took this name, Cats Under the Stars. Out of Crawdaddy magazine, it was a stoner comedy article that Robert Hunter for the Grateful Dead wrote, but it had nothing to do with the Grateful Dead. It was stoner comedy, and because um, it was a stoner rock and roll magazine, so I cut the title out, "Catch Under the Stars." I kept it in my wallet for a year, and we got this gig came up. We had added another guy named Skip Nellemark, whose dad was a doctor at the Virginia Hospital, no longer with us, but um, uh, so that was our name, Cats. Uh, under the stars, but we got our start turned into a really good country rock band at the Tumbleweed Bar in Biwabic, which was right across the street from the bar sauna. So watch, we, and we probably well, played a New Year's Eve at that bar well, in Biwabic. So that was Christmas Eve. Spent. It was Christmas Eve, and they were doing heavy metal uh, covers. And, you know, I said, this is the holiday spirit right here. The bar song mm-hmm. in Biwabic with some heavy metal music. And, my, of course, my brother Chuck was trying to pick up the, the local ladies. I'm like, you know, I mean, do we really want to have this walk of shame on Christmas Day morning? I don't think we do. <laughs> but, but they did haul us back, and there were even more beer bottles on that bus on, when we got back to Esquagava. It's funny, you know, it's not uh, – this that, that phenomenon is not just unique to Biwabic, as you know. <laughs> no, it's not. So, uh, well, I'm bring up a good question. You're in Duluth now. Of course, long time Minneapolis, St. Paul, the Iron Range. I want you to tell me right now your thoughts on the difference in the music as it generates in each of those areas, because there is a very unique music scene in all three of those areas. Oh, you're absolutely right. Which one do you want me to talk about first? Well, it's Duluth. Let's get it. Let's, now that you're up in Duluth there, what, what, what have you seen and what have you experienced up there as now a resident? Well, I've been, you know, actually peripherally a part of the Duluth music scene uh, since I was a kid. We used to, mom and dad used to take the family down. We used to go to the Duluth Armory, to the Duluth Home and Boat Show. And there was a guy named Dick Contino. He was like the Elvis of the accordion. Handsome dude and walked around saying and played his accordion. Years later, I was reading an interview with Roy Batan, the piano player for Bruce Springsteen. And he said one of his first influences with Dick it was Dick Contino, wow. which I always got a kick out of. It. Actually, at a garage sale, I bought some Dick Contino records that one of these days I'm going to send to a big albums. And then uh, one year, George Goble. Now, I don't know if you're old enough. I remember to George, George Goble, yeah. Yeah, so he played there one year, and he was a Gibson guitar guy, so that was cool. 1974, when I was a senior in high school, 
my uh, band Cancel the Stars, or my band uh, Damn Everything with the Circus, won the WEBC Battle of the Bands. And then uh, I would come down to shows. I saw, I believe it, I forget, was Slade, that uh, glam rock band with stories of another band, the Duluth Army, hitchhiked down in February to see a rock show. I had no idea I was going to get back. Fortunately, I bumped into a neighbor on the north side of Virginia. But and then, but I did my very first big gig under my own name. My record, Paper Tigers, came out in 1984. And I opened up for Taj Mahal at the North Shore Theater, where my mother mm-hmm. took my friends and I for my 13th birthday to see The Sound of Music. So, but that was really my coming out uh, show. And uh, and so then over the years, I played in Duluth a lot. I was the first guy to open up uh, Fitker's Brew House, which was one of the first brew pubs, I believe, in Minnesota. This was like 26 years ago. Uh, my friend Rod Raymond still runs it, and uh, his partner at the time now has his own outfit called uh, Earthrider, and they've got a beautiful uh, bar called the Cedar Lounge, all beer bar and superior at the uh, north end of Tower Avenue. So I played there a lot, and uh, I played the uh, Bayfront Blues Fest in Duluth for over 15 years. But back when I started, I then got on the board of directors about 10 years ago with Rod and Tim because they owned about five different uh, joints. Tim's a musician, and he and his uh, brother, years before it started a magazine called Ripsaw, which was kind of like uh, a really DIY version of City Pages, but it really covered politics, but also the music scene. And Tim used to tell me uh, back in the day, he goes, I, I really believe Duluth could turn into uh, a small Austin, Texas, and damn, it, it is was right on the money it because is. there's a there is so much great music up here. Um, I, I take a little uh, credit back when I was booking uh, uh, Tuesday nights the Artist Corner at Mayslacks in Northeast Minneapolis. I'd have a couple hundred bucks to throw around with musicians and burgers and beers. There's this guitar player that used to drive down just from Duluth to play one or two Tuesdays a month. And I'd always give him a little more money, you know, for gas. And he was so good. He looked like a geography teacher, short hair, white shirt, played National Steel. And I go, man, you're good. What's your name? Charlie Parr. Wow. Wow. And so, and now I just, I, he posted something on Facebook. He, he's got like, there's people from 178 countries listening to him on Spotify. <laughs> got to deal with Folkway Records. And then Jeff and I, we also booked Trampled by Turtles yeah. for their first Minneapolis gig. But anyway, so now I'm back up here. Those guys are like huge stars, as well they should be. But there's gigs up here. There's a lot of places to play, kind of almost unlike Minneapolis right now. Now, when I came of age in the early 80s and 90s and into the yachts and, you know, through whenever I left a year and a half ago, or really before the pandemic, you could play all the time. That's how I made my living. That's why I played 5,000 plus gigs. That's not the case in Minneapolis right now. You still got Palmer's. I'm actually uh, recently did a book signing at Grumpy's where they, they had a folk festival running for years. Of course, Shaw's Bar is now back up and running. But really, those little holes in the walls aren't what they used to be. And I think per capita, there's more live gigs in Duluth 
superior than there is in Minneapolis right now. I would. I'm going to. I'm going to agree with you. Now we got to get a good break in here, but I'm going to agree with you really quick here because I want to say I think these dive bars they're just getting undercut by the property, the cost of the property, and yeah. you you don't get it anymore. And you're right, we don't generally have. It. I mean, there's a lot of great bands coming up in Minneapolis right now, Gully Boys, Dury that are coming up, but they're they're coming up via going on the road almost or on TikTok versus right. as when I was a kid where it'd be playing shows. They, you know, they play six shows a week over at First Avenue or something like that on the 7th yeah. Street entry. And so, you know, it is changing like that. I'll tell you what, let's take a break. We'll come back. I'll let you finish out your thoughts on, on, on Minneapolis and, and the Iron Range as well in regards to music. And then we get to talk about your book, Alphabet Jazz. Paul Metza, kind enough to join us for a, a full hour here today over the holidays. Uh, it is, of course, one of the holiday editions of the show right here on AM 950. Jack Ruby when you were 21. Who you treated brass knuckles for a caliber gun in the Sherman Hotel bootleg whiskey did run. Jack Ruby, Jack Ruby when you were 21. Jack Ruby, Jack Ruby when you were 35. Set up shop in Dallas, you had nothing to hide. A nightclub of hookers. It was a very arduous two-year process. I went through uh, two different publishers uh, and an and a, uh, editor that just, you know, I paid her, I don't know, enough money under $1,000, but she just disappeared one day. And uh, so then I had to basically pick up the pieces. And I worked with several different editors that were very helpful that helped me with this chapter and that chapter. Um, but... When I when I finally sat down and went through the whole thing, I thought, you know what? I'm really happy for this because it's a uh, because it's a real love letter to both the city of Minneapolis and to a lot of friends of mine, and it's a great way for me to remember them. And I think a lot of people that knew some of these musicians that I you know mentioned, like you know Willie Murphy and mm-hmm. Bill Hinckley and Willie Walker, uh, I think they're going to relate to it because they miss them too i've been able uh to write about them which which i feel really good to be able to do that for my friends because those stories as the stories of my dogs um uh i think need to be told because uh uh, people enjoy them and you know everybody that's had a dog has lost a dog right and uh in my case i had you know blackie for 16 years and it was a really tough that last year. It was really hard. But that last night with him, you've got to read the book to find out, was just, it was life-changing, life-affirming. And uh, 
when he jumped back into my arms after not being able to walk uh, and ended up in my arm when I woke, woke up. I'll, I'll never forget it. Uh, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm tearing up because once again, you know, good writers make you, you know, you convey the emotions of everyone into what your story is. And I'm thinking about the dogs I've lost. And I agree with you wholeheartedly. You, 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 you kind of nailed it, that personal relationship. I, I want to give you an opportunity. Um, you, like I said, there's a lot of stuff in here. Is there something you would, wouldn't mind reading for us out of the book? Sure. Why don't, uh, this was actually when I got on my poetry kick, I was living out in, uh, Rigo Park, New York, and moved out to New York City uh, in 19, January 96, and to meet Nora Guthrie, which I ended up doing. She's a very good friend of mine. And I stayed with a guy named Jerry Disrude, who we lost several months back, who I loved dearly. And uh, But we lived uh, right off 63rd and Queens Boulevard, for those of you that know the city. <clears throat> Excuse me, this was uh, a poem I wrote back there. And... Uh, this was back, Matt, when you used to write this stuff on a typewriter. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> All right, memo from Rigo Park. A dog whistle wind at night, paint spray on disappearing street. Arpeggio vapor trail and a beach blonde discount. Trinity Lopez and family too. Two or three chord Monty Hall. Behind doors number two and three. Give the Chevy Nova to someone who cares or needs it with Civil War alibis, cattle car algebra, Lone Street song. Homeless Albert on a borrowed harp. Baby blue Cadillacs and matching lingerie. Lonesome chorus, hallelujah bunk bed. Good night poems, ivory trinket lullaby. Last trick ponies for wee small children on the subways of the damned. Blue light echoes, static volume curtain call. May east or west, and someone named Frenchie when you least need him. Forgive, but don't forget. Apply, but don't return, for they've taken all your numbers away. Gave you Spanish alphabet, nicknames, and a joke book. Babysitter's West Coast Dream. Cast iron ukuleles, semi-permanent straw hat, tin star promise, and someone else's name in the witness protection program of your choice. Bye, you need more. What else is new? Midnight circle overcoat, bad mustache, no bungalow for Romeo, flophouse magazines, lemon tongue promise, a missed kiss or two, car keys and a razor blade. Hoping we'd have more to show for this, raise your hand in a moment of silence, but don't cease to dream, for they can't steal that in our irregular moments of grace. Wow. Wow, that is uh, spectacular. Memo uh, from Rigo Park. This is uh, from Paul Metza here, Alphabet Jazz. Uh, you'd mentioned the Companion CD, which uh, it, it's, it's got a lot of your great songs on here. I love Whistling Past the Graveyard, Jack Ruby, uh, Ain't Gonna Whistle Dixie Anymore. I love that song. I remember when we, we brought that one out uh, and, and we played it. Um, talk a little bit about that, putting that together to go with the book. Uh, well, I kind of, um, when I was talking to uh, my buddy Rick Shevchik, who I wrote Blood in the Tracks with, I said, how would you put this together? And he said, do it chronologically. I didn't necessarily do that with uh, the poetry and the prose, but I kind of did that with the companion CD and the 14 songs that uh, you can get if you buy the book uh, with the QR code. So... What I wanted to do there 
was Summit Lake Whistle Past the Graveyard. That was on a record that uh, I did with Sonny Earl, our first record, God, I don't know, 12, 13, 14 years ago. But this was a live version that we actually recorded at Sacred Heart in Duluth with the great uh, blues player Paul Mayasich. You know who that guy is, right? Mm-hmm. Another ranger, by the way, for Neville. <laughs> and uh, so, and then there's a couple tunes I've never released. Uh, uh, one called Automatic Heroes, which was when I was going through my uh, Bruce Springsteen phase. I said, great saxophone by a guy named Merlin Bronco. And, uh, uh, and then there was a, a couple of other versions of songs I've never released, and then some versions of songs I have released but are live versions. So it's a really nice kind of potpourri, in a way chronologically ordered, and then the song Ain't Gonna Whistle Dixie Anymore that I wrote after the uh, Charlottesville March, yes. and uh, did it with uh, The Sounds of Blackness, which I was so honored. That was a bucketless thing to to perform with those guys. And then, of course, the great Willie Walker sang lead. So I think the actually the CD can stand on its own. Yes, it does. And I think it's a really nice package it's a good way to know me. I mean, like you said, I was very honest with it. And, uh, I, you know, I, I don't want to brag, but I'm very proud of it. You get to know you. It's, 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 there's, there's a lot of people that write books and that, that you don't really get to know them at the end of it. It's nice. You get some stories, but it's not an intimate look. I mean, this book, you'll understand who Paul Metza is and you'll appreciate top to bottom Everything that he's done. I mean, his, his, your talent is, is, is pretty undeniable, sir. It's, it's amazing. Um, uh, once again, Alphabet Jazz, Poetry, Prose, Stories, and Songs by Paul Metza. Available, uh, Paul, is it on paulmetza.com? Uh, not yet. Right now, people can get it on Amazon, but, uh, hopefully we're going to get it together first year. So if people want signed copies, it'll cost them a little more. Uh, but we'll get that together. And, uh, I've also, if you go to Bandcamp, I've got most of my records on there. Uh, so, but I've been, I'm getting, uh, friends of mine, uh, that have been reading the book that are, you know, they don't give Paul Metz of the pass. They don't give me a Metz of pass. They're actually the hardest on me as any, anybody I know because they're truthful friends and that's the only kind of friends you want. But I did have a great review that just came out in Soundwaves magazine just a couple days ago, and the guy was uh, very complimentary. Uh, he wrote a beautiful review of my first book, Blue Guitar Highway, and that just came out that uh, some music magazine goes all over New England. So I'm anxious to get this out and see what people that don't know me think mm-hmm. of it. Um, but I'm, I'm, I'm very, uh, you know, I put a lot of work into it, and there's a lot of soul. And really what this was, and I say it in the foreword, it's kind of my... Love letter as well to the city of Minneapolis where I lived for 40 years. And I say in the, in the forward, I said where I found inspiration and friendship in every corner of town. Uh, the, uh, it, it is wonderful. Amazon.com, Amazon.com. Go get this book. I can't recommend it enough. I did want to get back to our question about music because I did. Okay. So you and I talked a little bit there before the break about yeah. the difference between Duluth and Minnesota. Compare that to the Iron Range. Talk about how the music evolves, creates differently on the range than it does in Duluth and Minneapolis. Well, you know, it's funny you should say that because the Iron Range has really always had a great music scene. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when Bob started playing with his band, the Golden Chords, there was, I was talking to my English teacher, Tom Moeller. Uh, it's a longer story. Uh, but he, Tom, took 
studied English under B.J. Rolfson at Hibbing Community College and went from wanting to go into sports and coaching to be, uh, he got his English degree at St. John's. B.J. was also Bob Dylan's high school English teacher. I got to know B.J., and he was just a phenomenal, legendary English and humanities teacher. And I really believe you can trace Bob Dylan's 2016 Nobel Prize for Literature right back uh, to this man. So I went up because I wrote a uh, little piece on him for this book a guy named Keith Miles is doing in the UK. He's done three Dylan books, Dylan in uh, London, Dylan in, in uh, uh, the Big Apple, and Dylan in Minnesota. So I wrote the foreword to that book. That's coming out in the spring. But I said, you've got to, I've, we've got to mention B.J. Walsh because I think he's, Bob Dylan told B.J. that he's his biggest influence. And uh, so I went up to interview my uh, uh, high school teacher and who was BJ's student and he was uh, in rock bands he grew up in Chisholm and he was telling me when he was in high school he graduated in 64 he said there was a rock band in every town Ely Chisholm yeah. Hibbing Duluth, uh, and, you know, the Electras in 1966, I think, had a, had a, a top 20 hit. I think it was called 900 Foot Wave. Uh, the band of Virginia that, that when I was 12 and 13 was a small society. They won that same WEBC battle of the bands at the Duluth Army mm-hmm. and put out a record. Then we had the Armory and, you know, the Virginia Armory actually, uh, had all kinds of bands from, uh, from Minneapolis play there. But I was uh, I was talking to a buddy of mine who was talking to a buddy of mine who said Van Morrison played at the Virginia Armory one night. Did he? Yeah. Well, how long ago was this? Well, God, it would have been in, you know, 65 or 66 wow. or 67, you know, when he was just, you know, making a name for himself. But uh, but now, um, so over the years, there's always been, because number one, if you don't, uh, if you don't play hockey, in the winter, or you don't ski, you'll you'll probably pick up an instrument, and then, which is what I did. Which which was dozens, if not hundreds, of musicians across the range have done. So there's always been music. Uh, Matt, you you, <laughs> you remember you've been up to the range. You've seen polka you know, accordion oh, players, yeah. you know, two and three pieces, sometimes solo. Uh, uh, so there's still that going on. But there was always bands, country rock, the main street of Virginia. My hometown, uh, 1976, there were 16,000 people that lived in town, town of 10,000 because it was the last big construction boom. Matt, there was on that Chestnut Street, five blocks long, there was 22 bars on that main street. Sick. We used to call it the gauntlet. If you could get up one oh, side yeah. and down the other, you know, you. I've done the gauntlet myself once or twice. <laughs> so, I will. I mean, it, now just on that street back in 1976, there were six bars that had live music. Two of the bars had music six nights a week, and one of the bars uh, had music four nights a week, and the rest had music on the weekends. Six bars in five blocks. Yeah. I've, so it's, and, and right now, 
Matt, there is an incredible music scene up there. Well, Rich and Manson on the North Stars. Rich Manson has a beautiful studio called Sparta Sound in Sparta, Minnesota. Uh, Chris David Hansen is incredible. Uh, there's uh, Keith Sokola, who's originally from there, really big now in the Native well, American community. And i got to step in, Paul, because we're kind of at the end of here. But I can tell Sella Ovison when I was up there, I saw uh, her perform, too. I mean, there's just a lot of people that are coming in there, and it is very unique, and it is its own thing. You yeah. know, Paul, we do need to do this again. This is just this is just great fun. Uh, Paul Metzer, once again, the book Alphabet Jazz, Poetry, Prose, Stories, and Songs, available on Amazon Music. Uh, sir, it's an absolute privilege. Anytime you want to come back to my show, you're more than welcome to, okay? Thank you, Matthew. And uh, the next time you're driving up this way, give me a call, stop in, and uh, we'll go have a cocktail. My daughter's going to UMD, so I'll be talking to you soon. Sounds great, Matt. <laughs> Thanks. Happy holidays. Happy holidays. Paul Metza, kind enough to join us. We'll take a break. It is the Matt McNeil Show on AM 950. my grandfather's watch, and I pulled out the key to the